Welcome to the Square Apple Show. Hi, I'm Dr. Yong Shin Ling. I'm the co-founder of Change Voyage Consulting. After 20 years of corporate life, I successfully transited to be an entrepreneur. Wearing multiple hats as an entrepreneur, adjunct lecturer, mother, wife, daughter, sister, has taught me how to navigate life's challenges. And my secret is the Square Apple. In this show, I will discuss tips and strategies to change the way you think about your personal and professional life. Because if you change the way you look at things, the things you look at will change. Ready to activate the square apple in you? Let's begin! Hi, I'm Shining, and welcome to the Square Apple Show. Today, I'm back again talking about my favourite topic, managing change. I'm going to share some thoughts about factors to consider when developing a fit-for-purpose change management approach. If you are a change practitioner trying to figure out how to tailor an approach suited to your change initiative, this podcast is for you. As many of you who have been following my earlier podcast, I started my career as a change management analyst in a large consulting company. This company has a very complete set of change management methodologies. I still remember that the methodology was typically represented on a page. There were about 20 boxes of level 1 activities on that page. It ranges from activities around leadership alignment, stakeholder engagement to post-go-life behavioural change programmes. Even after practising change management for so many years, when I reflect on the methodology, I still think it's one of the most robust and complete change methodologies I have come across. As I grow older, I'm typically sceptical about frameworks because Many of them are usually good in certain contexts, but not others. But this set of change methodology was in a league of its own. To me, it was like the Bible of change management methodology. But one thing baffled me greatly when I was a young consultant. There were so many activities on the page, which all made sense to me, but it was frequently impossible for the consultants to propose nor implement them because it would definitely burst the budget of the clients. So what I usually see is that we only propose a subset of the items to the client. Deep inside me, I thought there must be some sort of guidelines around the type of activities and the nature of the change where they are applicable. I mean, there are many types of changes that you have experienced before, right? Remember the room booking system that was implemented? What was the change management that was put in place? What about the change around policies of, say, claimable expense? What about the global performance appraisal change? What about the reorg where many teams need to be dissolved? As you can now already see, these changes differ in shape and size. It can't be that all steps in a change management methodology is applicable right for all types of organisational change. If I unleash the whole gamut of stakeholder analysis and, and engagement, leadership alignment and behavioural change program on all change bright and beautiful, then it may be like using a parang to peel an apple. So how do we determine the extent of the change management effort involved so that we can develop a fit-for-purpose approach for the change that we are going through? Let us first revisit why change management is even needed in the first place. Typically, when change takes place in an organisation, it requires some people to move from point A to a point B. 
if point A and point B is very similar, so for example, in the old days, you used to fill out your timesheet manually before submitting to HR. Someone felt that it was too tedious, so they created an Excel template. Then people can type it in and email to HR. A and B are very similar with the exception of the way the data is captured. Probably the only thing you need to do in change management is to send an email to people on the location of the Excel template, the email address that they need to send to, and maybe the contact points in the event that anything goes wrong. Conversely, if point B is very drastically different from point A, for example, when the company changes technology, maybe now analysis and decision-making is undertaken manually. In future, it's all done by AI and machine learning. Or what you're currently doing will be outsourced to someone outside of your company in a far-flung corner of the earth that you didn't even knew existed. Imagine these changes are impacting you. What will go through your mind? What does the change do to me? Is my job going to be secure? If the machine is taking over what I do, then what do I do? Even if you know the company has a leave-no-man-behind policy, you may be concerned how the work will get done and whether there is going to be a negative impact to your end customer, whether internal or external. In such cases, the change management work is a lot more. There will need to be analysis of who will be impacted by the change, what their concerns and expectations are, and then tailor the communications and engagements according to the needs of the different stakeholders so that we can pave a clear path for them to get to the point B. So here we have the first parameter that influences the extent of change management and the type of change activities that is required. It's the extent of change. If the change is drastically different, then, then more change management is needed. The change can be in various nature. It can be relating to technology change, processes, org roles, or a combination of them. The list is by no means complete. The second and third parameters are what I've discussed extensively previously, so I won't go into a lot of details here. In some earlier episodes, I've explained that two factors that influence an individual's propensity to change is firstly their perceived value of the change, and secondly, their ability to undertake the change. If people think that the change is of value to them at various levels, as individuals, as a team, or even as an organisation, then it's easier to move them from A to B. The lesser change management is involved. Those interested in learning more about these two dimensions, you can listen to the podcast on change management is fluff or not. So far, I've been talking mostly about the individual. Let's take the discussion up one notch to look at the change at an organisational level where there are many people with different roles, different demographic profile at different levels of hierarchy with different agendas, some obvious and some not so obvious. So you can think of change management like a kind of shepherd at the risk of oversimplifying it because the shepherd in real life doesn't ask the stakeholders what they want. So what drives the complexity of the change at the organisational level? One key factor is the extent of differences between the groups that are impacted. If the impact between various groups are different, then naturally the complexity of the change would be high. 
For example, a company is in the business of processing some form of claims. Within this company, there are many different departments that undertake the assessment for different domain areas like aerospace, finance, real estate, etc. The current processes of assessment and the underlying domain knowledge for each team or department is very different. In the latest count, there may be up to, say, 100 different processes. For discussion's sake, let's assume that in the current state, the companies, the, the customers already key in or upload the information digitally. However, the review are done manually by highly skilled and knowledgeable officers with many years of experience. One day, the company installs a suite of digital tools which uses a combination of AI and machine learning and possibly IoT to undertake the assessment work. However, there needs to be significant process re-engineering and streamlining before the technology can be implemented. How do you hurt people at different point A to a similar point B? The scope of change management may include firstly engaging the various department heads to get buy-in and then potentially have different messages and engagements tailored to the respective groups. Since the group is so big, it may be difficult to get everyone's buy-in all at once, so we may need to have some pilot group to demonstrate success. Another factor driving complexity is the extent of within-group differences. If I follow the example from before, the definition of a group would be the department. Even though the people are in the same group, the same department, and they are doing similar work, the change may affect them differently. In the case above, potentially within the group, there are people who work in the field and people who are desk-bound. So far, we have looked at primarily the nature of the change and the impact that it has on people within the organisation. But we need to remember how people in an organisation perceive the world is largely shaped by its culture, including existing systems and processes, as well as past experiences of organisational change. So, whilst these organisational factors do not relate to the change per se, it adds to the change effort required. How I think about the role of organisational factors is this. The change itself are like seeds, and the soil is the organisation, which includes organisational culture, and its organisational experience. Change management is the process of taking care of the seed so that it grows well. If the soil is fertile and ready for change, then you don't need to put extra fertiliser for the plant to grow. Conversely, if the soil is poor and maybe even toxic, then the grower will need to put more fertiliser and give extra tender loving care. Let me illustrate my point with a story. In my change management career, I had the privilege to participate in a huge transformation program undertaken by a local government agency. In the initial transformation that I was in, the change was managed well. In the course of the change, the management showed a lot of empathy towards stakeholders impacted, both internally and externally. They took time to listen, to engage, and then to refine their solutions. Internal stakeholders were open-minded to the change and were flexible in terms in times of uncertainty and ambiguity. All internal stakeholders throughout the hierarchy took ownership of the change. Leaders walked the talk, and middle managers also took the lead to shape a better future for its customers and for the organisation. 
I always remembered this organisation as my golden sample of a change well-managed. When I came back to the same organisation many, many years later, the organisation continued to display the same empathy to its external and internal stakeholder, and they embraced the upcoming transformation like a well-oiled machine. Conversely, I've worked in many smaller organisations, much smaller than the organisation that I mentioned before, and with change of very much smaller complexities. However, the organisation may be highly political with many different stakeholders of diverse agendas. It may even be impossible to align key stakeholders' vision of the future state. As such, managing change for such organisations can really be a daily battle and definitely an uphill task. In such organisations, the change usually doesn't stick and the organisation may only superficially and temporarily change, but within a short time, they go back to the old ways of doing things. So today, we see the nature of the change and organisational factors affecting the change management approach. And this includes the effort, resources and techniques that you need to use. So the next time you want to develop a fit-for-purpose change management approach, consider what the change is and definitely the quality of the soil. I hope you have enjoyed this episode. If you have questions or thoughts on this episode, please connect with me on LinkedIn at bit.ly slash squareapple. That's bit.ly forward slash s-q-u-a-r-e-a-p-p-l-e. Thank you and see you soon. Thank you for joining me today. I'm very honoured to have you here. If you would like to keep going and want to know more about the number one Southeast Asia's leading female entrepreneurship network, head over to Soul Rich Woman at S-O-U-L-R-I-C-H-W-O-M-A-N.com and download the free ebook on how to get clients and multiply your income through personal branding. Remember, if you change the way you look at things, the things you look at will change. Do subscribe to The Square Apple Show and I look forward to seeing you in the next episode. Bye for now.